Amen. Hey, last week we talked about some good news. Remember that? Right? With the election thing, but I won't go there. But anyway, this week I got some other good news. I don't know if you guys heard this good news, but uh, uh, Bill Wimberly's sister, Margaret, did you, she got pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> just roll with it, Margaret. Just roll with it. Don't ruin my sermon, right? Yeah. Hey, I mean, that, but that, the miracles still happen. Hello. Hello. Right? Okay. But anyway, that was the good news. Okay. The bad news was while she was pregnant, she got in this car accident, and uh, good to see you here today, uh, and she fell into this really deep coma. Right? And while she was asleep in this coma for nearly like six months or so, uh, she finally wakes up and she realizes, wait a second, uh, she's no longer pregnant. And so she's frantically asking the doctor, and she says, where's my baby? Where's my baby? Where? And the doctor says, ma'am, 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 just calm down. Don't worry. You had twins. Yeah. Yeah, you had a boy and a girl. And the babies are just fine. Okay. Uh, your brother Bill came in to name them. Well, Margaret, she thinks to herself, oh, no, 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 not my brother Bill, he's a goober. And so expecting the worst, <laughs> expecting the worst, she asks the doctor, all right, what's the girl's name? And the doctor says, Denise. And Mark goes, Denise, hey, that's not a bad name. I guess I was rolling about my brother, he's not a goober after all. I, I, I like Denise. And so then she asks the doctor, well, what's the boy's name? And the doctor said, Denephew. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Three of you get that later at lunch. Just put it in your pocket and you'll start laughing. It'll make sense and, and all that stuff. But uh, I, I think the lesson's pretty obvious there, right? Number one, don't you ever let Bill Wimberly name anything that belongs to you, whether it be a kid, a baby, a cat, whatever. Uh, number two, obviously, the lesson is, hey, sometimes, let's be honest, folks, uh, not just in Wimberly world, but sometimes family members... They can let you down. Can they not? You know, we act like a bunch of goobers, okay? Uh, but unfortunately, that's not the only family, folks, that's letting people down. Can anybody guess what other family is on a regular basis and they don't even realize it? Uh, the family of Christ. That's actually uh, right, Bobby. It's the family of God. And we're letting people down when we walk around acting like what? Practically this. Talk about a bunch of goobers. <laughs> we say we believe in God, right? But what are we doing? Half the times with our lips and our lives, we're, we're giving a different impression. We're acting like God's not even there. And the problem is this, folks. It's not just detrimental in our walk with God. It keeps other people from believing in God. Okay, they're watching us. Okay, so to avoid this irony of you and I as Christians living like these practical atheists by not knowing who God is, we're going to continue our study from the holy word of God. Let him define himself to us. Hello. Don't create an idol. We're going to continue in our study from the holy word of God on the character of God. Now, we've already seen the first thing we need to know about God. We are here for a real reason. Is that comforting or what? All right, this is not make-believe. He's real. He really is. All right, the second thing we saw, he is personal or he is intimate. That Jesus Christ died not for another dry, stale, man-made religion, but a beautiful, intimate relationship with you and I before we even get to heaven. It's absolutely uh, wonderful. The third thing, hello, he is wise. Why would we go anywhere else when you need advice? God never gets it wrong. He knows everything. He will never steer you wrong. The fourth thing, God is sovereign. He's in control of all things. And if you love him, praise God, he'll work all things together for good. We saw that there, even with suffering and heartaches, okay? The fifth thing we saw about God is he is powerful. Boom, he can do whatever he wants. Praise God, he can save anybody he wants. You're looking at one of them, okay? Uh, and he can meet any need he wants. I mean, his arm's not too short. His hand, oh, no, I can't. Are you kidding me? God is all-powerful, almighty. The scripture talks about that. And then the last seven times, we saw the sixth thing. God is what? He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. It's the only attribute in scripture of God mentioned three times in a row. And again, the biblical rule of interpretation is when you see anything repeated, not just twice, we see this one three times. It's basically God saying, hey, I want you to know 
know all my word, but I really want you to know this one. And that is his holiness. So we went to the holy word of God. That's what we've been doing. And, and we say, well, okay, how are you going to learn about the holiness of God? We'll go to the holy word of God. And you see his holiness simply by looking at the reaction of people when they encounter the true holy presence of God. The removal of people. God has a zero tolerance for sin. And the last several times, God's reminders for people. The first one was the traveling tabernacle and the symbolism of that. And he's trying to tell us that he is holy. We are not. We need who to save us? Jesus. And then the last four times we saw the second reminder was the Ten Commandments, right? They're not just something to stick on a wall, a plaque to memorize, or to have on the wall, and you don't even know what it says, but it sure makes you look spiritual when the guests come over, right? No, that's not what it is. It's God's way, again, to remind us the dilemma he's trying to get across our heads. Old Testament, New Testament, that he is holy, we are not. How? By these prohibitions. Prove to me that you're holy like me. I know you're not, but I'm trying to get you to admit it. So he just throws out 10 prohibitions. All right, just prove to me then that you're perfect. Don't ever worship other gods ever once. Don't worship idols. Don't use my name in vain. Keep it Sabbath. Just give me a day, will you? Honor your parents. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. And don't covet, especially at Christmas. Remember that? We saw that one last time. Man, of all times, we break that command. Uh, it seems that it gets ratcheted up at Christmas. We lie and we covet to keep that economy going. Okay. Now, the problem is this. It's like, oh, man, I, I can't keep the Ten Commandments. Well, what's the problem? What's, what's the Bible say? What, uh, what does God say? Here, here's the issue. It's not like, oops, guess they can't do it. <laughs> no, the Bible is very clear and very standard because God says if we break these commands, we deserve to die and go straight into hell. That's how holy he is. That's why he's taking the time to give us these reminders. And you can get all kinds of things wrong, but don't get it wrong about my holiness. Because my holiness, if you don't get it fixed through my holy son and his holy sacrifice, with my holy mercy being given out to you, you're in trouble. And that's where we're at now. We're not done with this holiness. Now here's, here's the issue. We saw the reaction of people. We saw the removal of people. We've seen many times God's trying to get this. Through. Don't get this. Please, please. I'm holy. None of us are. We're in a heap of trouble. Run to Jesus. Why? Here's why he's reminding us. Because there's a retribution. There's a payday. It's not just, hey, well, I'm not holy like God. Okay, just keep marching on. Mm -mm. It's not like the one guy, with all due respect, at a funeral refused to say anything about the eternity issue, about hell, and just said, well, it's just, you know, just, they didn't go to, they didn't go to heaven. If they don't know Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, they went to hell. And hell is supposed to sting. Hell is supposed to grab our attention. Hell is supposed to hurt. Hell is supposed to shake you up! Because this is not a game. And hell is the exact polar opposite of heaven. And unless we accept God's graciousness, then to hell that person will go. This is why God is trying to remind us, please, please, it's not a game. I'm holy. You are not. Please come to Jesus before it's too late. Because there's a retribution when you impugn my holiness. But I didn't say that. God did. Let's open your Bibles to Matthew 22 as our opening text. said, this is Jesus, and we're going to hear a lot from Jesus. Because many people have repainted Jesus, which, by the way, is a false teaching, and it's called idolatry. You're making him up in your mind, your vision of who he is. But they painted Jesus as this namby-pamby guy who basically wouldn't hurt a flea, and, and he would never judge somebody. He, 
Let's take a look at what Jesus said. Is there really a place of retribution forever and ever and ever called hell? Matthew 22, let's take a look. That's our text, uh, opening text today. Matthew 22, the parable of the wedding banquet. Let's go ahead and stand as we read God's holy word. This is actually kind of cool. It starts off cool, right? Because I don't know about you guys, but heaven is going to be awesome, right? Heaven is going to be a big old party, right? And I see you might be thinking I'm getting a little loose there, but I'm not. Right? Because this is the parable that Jesus uses. Right? God is going to throw a party. Right? It, it's awesome. Let's, here's what it says. The parable of the wedding banquet, verse 1, chapter 22, Matthew. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, and this time he said this. The kingdom of heaven is like what? It's like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. It's a party. And he sent his servants to those who had been invited uh, to the banquet to tell them to come. Right? But they what? Refused to come. Why wouldn't you want to go to a party? Especially the king's party. This is going to be awesome. This is good stuff. Well, then he sent some more servants. He said, uh, tell those who've been invited and, and that I've what? I prepared my dinner. And what's God serving his parties? You know this is good. <laughs> oh, my oxen, my fatted cat. There ain't no chicken here. God knows how to throw a party. Let's just close in prayer. No, let's keep going on. Right? My oxen, my fatted calf, they've been butchered and everything's ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Come on, let's party. But they what? you got to be kidding me. They paid no attention. And, and then they went off, one to his field. And this is Jesus speaking, by the way. Uh, one, one to his, his business. And then, listen, it got worse. The rest seized his servants and mistreated them. And, and what? Killed them? They just turned their budget to a party. The king, obviously, he got enraged. And he sent his army and destroyed those murders and burned their city. And then he said to his servants, well, the wedding banquet is still ready. God's going to still party, but, but those I invite, they didn't deserve to come. So go to the street corners and, and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out in the streets and gathered all the people they could find, and, and both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed there was a guy there who was not wearing wedding clothes. And he says, friend, how did you get in here without the wedding clothes? And the man was what? speechless. You bet he was. And then listen, the king, Jesus speaking, told the attendants, tie him what? Hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where what? There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? Because many are invited. Come on. But few are chosen. You can go ahead and be seated as we take a look. And this, again, is from Jesus. And it's one of the many parables. This isn't the only one. But here's one he's given about the kingdom of heaven. And again, of course, we see the good news and we see some not good news. We see the bad news. And the good news, of course, is that God has made a way for uh, people through his son, Jesus Christ, to go to heaven. Woohoo! How many times have we seen this before? He didn't have to. The moment that we sin, he could, boom, he could nuke us, throw us straight into hell. He could nuke the whole planet. He could start all over. But he made a way out. And it's a gift because you can't earn it because we're all unholy. We're all, myself included, we're all disqualified. So, so he makes a way for us to join him in heaven, have a fantastic time forever and ever and ever. Now, that, that's the good news, but what do we read? The response of the people. The response of the people. What did the majority of them do? Pfft. Shrug it off like no big deal. Some of them even got violent. And tell me, folks, that's not the same behavior of the average non-Christian today. I used to be one of these folks. Same thing. Somebody's trying to love you to heaven and tell you the greatest news of all. Come to God's party. It's free. Just accept the invitation. It's through Jesus. He did it all. You just got to come. And what's the reaction of the people? <laughs> you got time for that Christian stuff. What are you, one of those wackos? 
right? Or they get violent. Back off. Shut your mouth. I want to hear from you, you religious weirdo. It's the same thing that's going on today, okay? I ain't got time for that stuff, right? Party smart. Now, the problem is this, folks. This is why we see the retribution or the punishment for ignoring God's gracious offer is still the same today. And here's the bottom line. If a person refused to ask Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sins, our text says one day you will be tied hand and foot. You'll be thrown into a dark place forever and ever and ever where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible also says remember. You'll remember even this day if you're here and you're not saved and you reject it still after this. You'll remember every time you had an opportunity. Oh, why? Why? Just, it was right there. Weeping and gnashing. But you can't undo it. It's too late. Why? Because that's how holy God is. This is how serious he is with sin. Sin requires a payday. Nobody gets away with sin. Nobody. Your two choices are this. Either you're going to actually stand before God and think you're going to pay for it yourself, which leads straight to hell. Or you can accept his wedding invitation and say, my son paid it for you. He took your punishment in your place. Come. But sin never gets away with. Somebody had to pay the price. The question is, who's going to pay it for you? And if you try it yourself, you're doomed to hell. Now, that's serious stuff, is it not? And I'm just reading the words of Jesus. So I don't know about you, but I'd say, you know, in order to make sure that none of us have any doubts about God's holiness in this place called hell, retribution for sins against him, I think we better uh, take a look at everybody's favorite topic, hell. <laughs> you excited? Yeah. And the nervous laughter was in the room, but uh, let's move on. Well, we're going to look at a couple of ways, and Lord willing, maybe even next week, uh, uh, part two to this. But uh, the first way we see God's retribution for sin, I'm not making this up, is, folks, it really exists. The necessity of hell. Hell is necessary, right? you got a warped, twisted, horrible ogre of a God if you say there is no hell. Now, that, I'll get to that in a bit, right? But that's what people say. Oh, a God of love, he would never do... What kind of a God do you got there? But let's take a look at the necessity of hell. And again, this is where I, the passage in Luke 16, Jesus, again, sharing another parable, 22 through 24. He said, the time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man, he also died, and he was buried. But where'd he go? In hell, right? Uh, where he was in torment. He wasn't partying. He looked up, and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And so he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Why? Because I'm down here partying with my buddies. Woo-hoo! Hey, I'm going to get out next week. No, I got a second chance. I'm just hanging on. I'll be out here soon enough. I'm in agony. And then he goes on. Oh, talk about a creepy text. Oh, oh who's speaking this? Jesus. He goes on, he says, okay, if you can't at least do that, would you please send somebody to my family and warn them about this place? Isn't it wild that the scripture says that people in hell wish that people on earth would warn others of hell? But they know it's too late. And that's what he says here. 
Uh, and, and again, this is Jesus. This is a, a second time. The scripture is clear from the lips of Jesus. There really is, folks, a place of eternal torment, agony, weeping, gnashing of teeth. It's called hell. It really exists. And again, I can't belabor this enough. Who's speaking here? Jesus is speaking. But in here lies our problem. Instead of listening to Jesus, instead of taking heed to his loving warning about going to hell, getting saved before it's too late. I don't know if you've noticed this, but even in the church, I can see the world doing this, but even in the church, they put up forth various objections. This is why, no, no, there can't, there, there really can't be a hell, excuse me. And let's roll through, because you probably heard a bunch of these today, okay? Uh, why people say there cannot be a hell. And they object it, and they try to soften it or change it. But that's not what the scripture says. The first objection they come up with against hell is a lie called universalism. It's called universalism. Now, let me explain that. What universalism would have you and I believe, it's a false teaching, is they say that basically everybody will universally get saved. Hence, universalism, right? Regardless of their beliefs, regardless of their actions, nobody goes to hell, so therefore there's no need of a hell. That's just a bunch of baloney or symbolism, but it's not a literal place. Excuse me? But folks, stop and think about it. If that's true logically, Scripture interprets Scripture, right? But if that's true, right, if everybody automatically gets saved, then why did Jesus tell us to share the gospel? It's called the Great Commission, right? And, and we tell people, and we use the verbiage even when we share the gospel. And we say, hey, you need to get saved, brother. You need to get saved. Says, saved from what? Saved from a mediocre life, a poor economic status, a low self-esteem. <laughs> saved from what? Hell. It's supposed to sting. It's supposed to scare because it's real, and you don't want to go there. And, and, and so why would we share the gospel? Was it the great commission or the great illusion? No, we share the gospel because God's not willing that any should perish, but everybody come to repentance. He doesn't want people to go this place. But this is the time that we need to get busy sharing it. The truth is, Jesus did tell us to evangelize, right? And we need to let people know about the consequences. It's not just, hey, don't miss out on heaven. No, please. Please, don't go to hell. And furthermore, if universalism is true, then wouldn't this mean everybody, no matter what, gets saved? Wouldn't that mean that the devil himself would get to go to heaven if everybody, no consequences, right? Got to be fair across the board, according to that rap. And that's blasphemy. The Bible's very clear. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, not to save him. Also, besides, if universalism is true, it denies the clear teaching as we've already just read just twice, and I'm just getting started. There's two eternal places. One's up, one's down. One's heaven, one's what? Hell. There's not one eternal place in the scripture. There's two. So that falls flat. But the people keep going. Second objection they come up with uh, to hell, they say, okay, I'll tell you what. If hell, if it's really there, okay, it's just temporary. Right? It's just temporary. Right? Because, I mean, that sounds pretty harsh forever. I mean, and here's what they do. It's a lie, obviously. So they, they say that, you know what, okay, hell's there. It's in the Bible. It's two places. Okay, I got to deal with it somehow. But, but, but I know, somehow, some way, you know, it, it, uh, eventually they'll be able to get out. They, 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 it's just too harsh. It's just too harsh. Are you serious? Tormented forever and ever. I didn't say that. God did. In fact, let's just read one obvious uh, scripture on that. Oh, well, by the way, again, Jesus speaking here. And by the way, this is in the exact same verse. This isn't three verses later. It's not three chapters later. In the exact same verse. 
What does it say from Jesus? Matthew 25, 46, here's your decision. Then they will go away to eternal what? Punishment or, what's the alternative? The righteous, they go to eternal life. Exact same verse. Nothing skipping. Right then, the same verse, what do we see from the lips of Jesus, right? This is about as cut and dry as you can get. How many guys, how many guys, nobody sneezes at this. When you're a born-again Christian, when you're saved, even the people who think that they're saved, okay, and think they're going to heaven, everybody will admit this, believes this. When you get to heaven, how long does it last? Eternal. Eternal. It's forever. Anybody glad you, you don't get kicked out? Aren't you glad you're going to Well, your three years is up, Ron. Back you go. <laughs> hey, hey, that's not the good news. That's the bad news, man. It's called the good news, the gospel for a reason. We, we get this for Nobody see the exact same verse that says with the eternal life. The exact same verse says what? In the context, eternal punishment. Hell is just as long as heaven is. They're both eternal, whether we want to admit it or not. Hell is not temporary. It's just as forever as heaven is forever. Okay, you ain't getting out. Just like you can't come back. Woohoo! When you get to heaven, okay? Uh, the third one they, they come up with to hell, the objection, they say, well, no, no, I'll tell you what. How about annihilationism? How about annihilationism, you know? And if you're not familiar with this, actually, this is what people say. Since they can't deny, obviously, if you're true to the scripture, that hell really does exist, and again, I'm just reading through Jesus' words, right? Uh, they say, you know what? They, they, they try to soften, right? As if God needs help. They try to soften the, the harshness of reality of, of God's retribution of hell and that's forever. And they say, no, okay, okay, fine, fine. You know, if hell exists, right? Uh, here's what's going on there. The people there, they don't die and suffer there endlessly forever and ever. And ever. No, no, no. They simply just cease to be. They poof. They're annihilated. That's hence the term annihilationism. You can think that all you want. That ain't true. And boy, you're deceiving folks with that lie. Because here's what the Bible says. You get into hell forever, really does mean forever. In fact, ask the false uh, uh, prophet and the beast, the Antichrist. They've been in there for a thousand years at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Revelation 20, 7 and 10. When the thousand years are over at the end of the millennial kingdom... Satan will be released from his prison. He'll, the devil who deceived him was what? Thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. Praise God. Anybody hope we get to see that event? The devil is done. It's over. He'll never be released again. Praise God. He is going into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Anybody glad for that? Anybody glad that it's going to last? He can't get out again? Number one. But notice what the very next part says. It's not just the devil goes into the lake of fire. It's what? Where the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, what? Had been thrown. They're still there. That was a thousand years earlier. They got thrown in there at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Then the millennial kingdom starts. Then a thousand years goes. Satan does one final rebellion. God puts it down, throws them in the lake of fire where these guys still are. A thousand years later. Oh, and in case you don't get that, that it really means forever and not just poof, you're gone. Then they will be tormented, how long? Day and night, which is a passage of time. Forever and ever and ever, Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet and anybody who ends up there. That's what the scripture says. 
The beast and the false prophet, they have not been annihilated. They didn't go poof. The scripture says they're in hell. They're still in their alive, suffering torment day after day after day, even after a thousand years, and they're just getting started. So annihilationism can't be true, according to the Bible. Also, let's go to another point. Annihilationism would not be a punishment. Annihilationism would be a release from punishment. But the Bible says that hell is a place of what? Punishment. So another reason why it can't be true. But people keep going. The fourth objection they come up with is, well, hey, I tell you, come on, man, this is pretty harsh. But why doesn't God just reform people? You know what I'm saying? Why don't you just reform people, right? You know? And it might sound logical, but it misses the whole point. Okay? You see, the Bible does teach, that, if you will, to use that term, God does try to, if you will, reform people. It's just you're missing the point. The time for that reformation to take place is now. It's not going to last forever. If you're breathing air right now, if you're listening right now, if you're here today right now and you're not saved, now you need to respond. The time of reformation is now. He's trying to reform your destiny. But you keep shoving him away and mocking him. <laughs> and folks, it's simple. You don't want to experience God's forgiveness? You don't want to experience his personal reformation right now through Jesus Christ? You don't want him to apply his mercy and grace and reverse your destiny? That's your decision. And that's why in reality, people send people to hell. You sent yourself there. You had your way out. And you said no. And you know what? God will honor your decision. It's now is the time. The fifth objection people bring up is they say, oh man, starting to get nervous. I'm starting to sweat. You know, I mean, come on. Isn't, isn't this eternal damnation? Isn't that a bit of overkill? I mean, come on. Forever? Really? Now, again, from our point of view, that might sound logical, may seem to make sense, but when you put it to God, the holy creator of the universe, when you put it in his lap, are you kidding me? Hell makes total sense after what we've done to him. Listen to this. One guy puts it this way. He says, listen, here stands God. God. Almighty God, who spoke a word, and out of nothing, the whole existence came to being. The universe, the stars, people, planet Earth, everything. God is so powerful. Boom. Here stands God at the day of creation, he says. And he looks at the stars. And God says, all you stars, move yourself to this place and, and start in this order and, and move in a circle and, and move exactly as I tell you until I give you another word. And they obey him, every last one of them. Planets, God says, pick yourselves up and whirl and make this formation at my command until I give you another word. And they obey him again every time. He looks at the mountains and he says, be lifted up, and they obey him. He tells the valleys, be cast down, and they obey him. He looks at the seas and he says, you will come this far and no more, and they obey him. And then he looks at mankind and says, come, and we say, no. What? Who do we think we are? Hey, this is not overkill. Hell is not overkill. You have any idea how wicked our rebellion is against him? Everything in the universe, the stars, the planets, the animals, even the bugs obey God. But mankind created in his image says, no. Hell is not overkill. In fact, think about this logically. It has to exist as long as a righteous God exists. Because listen, the only eternal punishment can suffice for sins against an eternal God. 
completely consistent. Besides, there has to be two different places because of sin. Think about this. Without eternal separation, there can never be a heaven. Heaven is a place without sin. So if you don't want to choose, as a gift from God, a place free, all paid for, come to the wedding and party. Woo! He's got to put you somewhere because it ain't going to be there. You, not him, you rejected it. There has to be eternal separation because then heaven would no longer be heaven. It's not overkill at all. And then some people will actually start to denigrate it. Well, come on, listen, the sixth one, they say, it's got no redeeming value. There's no value in hell. What's, what's going on here? Excuse me? Stop and think about that one. What in the world, and this is why I waited to this time to get to this, what do you think we've been studying for the last seven sermons? It rhymes with God's holiness for those of you wondering. The holiness of God, right? And, and what's God trying to remind us over and over and over again? The problem, he's holy and what? Not. We're not, okay? And guess what? There's a penalty for that. There's a penalty for that. Hell satisfies the justice of God for the sins that committed against the holiness of God. Listen, that's not just how fearful a standard his holiness is. That's how fearful and awesome the standard that requires retribution for that is. Besides, think about it. An awful punishment fits the nature of an awe inspiring God and those who again by their own choice refuse to give God glory in this life you will give him glory in the afterlife by your own choosing via torment it could have been bliss but you laughed you mocked you scoffed he sent his own son to die for people who deserve that place called hell he did it all and you rejected it on top of all the other sins. You did it to yourself. Every day on earth, you heard and you rejected. And you rejected until one day, <gasps> you took your last breath. Don't wait. I had a guy, I'm going off my notes. This really happened. His name was Bob. And I pastored in Northern California. And Bob was in his 70s. And I was concerned about Bob. I don't know how much more time you got to go, Bob, but you're looking a little run down there, Bob. <laughs> and, and you know what Bob's big hang-up was? There can't be a hell. That's it. There's no way there can be a hell. And that was his really big hang-up. I just can't believe it. No way, no way. Listen to how merciful God is. You know what happened to Bob? He literally went all the way down to literally his last breath. <gasps> He, he was living all alone in a trailer. He had come down with pneumonia. And we're guys, what do we not want to do? I ain't going to the doctor. It got so bad, Bob in his trailer, and it was about four in the morning. He woke up because he was taking his last breath. And he said, it got worse. And he says, and I took my last breath, and I went, and nothing was coming out. And he said, in my mind, I knew I'm going to die. And he said, I couldn't even speak the words. He said, but in my mind, I simply said, God, help me. He's, <gasps> all of a sudden, he could take a breath. And then he stumbles out of his little trailer there and talk about a divine appointment from God. He stumbles out at four in the morning. He happened to have a Christian neighbor whose dog just really needs to go to the bathroom. She happened to be out there. And so she turned to Bob and he's stumbling out. <gasps> Bob, you okay? Takes him to the hospital. 
And they didn't even know if he was going to make it. I get the phone call in the morning in my office. I rush down to the hospital, and I just put it on the line again. Bob, if this is your time, and it very well could be, the doctor's saying it ain't looking good. You ready to receive Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? Without hesitation, he's going, and Bob and I prayed right there, and Bob got saved and became one of the biggest evangelists with what time he had left. <gasps> Every one of us are going to have a last breath. And if you breathe your last breath without Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. Please respond. Hell is not overkill, it's necessary, it's real, it's not a game. Take the way out. Why would you push it so far? Why not receive it today? In fact, furthermore, did you know that hell, it says no redeeming value. It's not valuable. There's no purpose. No, no. The the Bible's very clear, folks. Hell's primary purpose or value, if you will, it was originally not for even people. Did you know that? Jesus again says, no, no, no. That was created for the devil and his demons. Let's take a look at that verse again. This again from Jesus, Matthew 25, 41. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, what? Away with you, cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for who? The devil and his demons. That's from Jesus, folks. He tells us, folks, hell was originally created for the devil and the demons. It wasn't for people. But listen, since people rebel against God just like the devil, just like demons, then to hell you will go. One guy puts it this way. There's, hell does what it's designed to do. It makes no discrimination. He puts it this way. He says, listen, he said, think about it. Think about it for a moment here. What the devil has done to mankind. What he has done. And if you could design a place for him to pay for what he's done in your life, your family's life, your loved one's life, the whole situation in the world, all messed up. If you could design a place for him, what kind of place would you design? Well, God has designed such a place. It's called hell. And hell was originally designed by God to make the devil pay for bringing evil and rebellion into God's creation. It was a place where God's anger, his wrath, his rage would be uncut, unbridled, uncensored. It was designed with the devil in mind, not people. But hell does not discriminate between a person and a demon. It's like a, listen to this analogy, wow. He says it's like a wood chipper. He says it's like a a, a divine wood chipper. You know, a wood chipper you throw logs into and branches, it grinds them up into a mulch. He said that's what hell's like. It's God's divine wood chipper. He says, nobody cringes when they see a log ground up, goes through that thing. He says, but imagine if someone grabbed that log, and as they grab that log, they throw it in there into the wood chipper, but a piece of limb grabs their pants and starts to pull them in. What would you do? Would you not grab them? Would you not pull them? Would you not scream, turn off, turn off, run, turn off? Why? Because that wood chipper, even though it was not designed for grinding humans, it doesn't care. It does what it's designed to do, to crush. Whether it's a human or a log or a rock or a stone, it will crush. And so it is with hell. It doesn't care whether it's a demon or a human. It's designed to crush and destroy, to heap pain and suffering and agony on rebellious angels that dare to rebel against God. There is no escape. There is no turning back. They are doomed. And so it is with anyone who has the audacity to rebel against God, human or devil. The divine wood chipper is there to suck a man. Man, and you didn't have to. 
You didn't have to go. All because you rejected the wedding banquet. Man, you deserve to go there. But I'm, I'm willing to freely give you an invitation to go to heaven. All you got to do is receive it. But oh no, they went off to their work. I ain't got time for this. You wackos trying to scare me. One guy said that. Oh, I don't want to tell people about hell. I'm not going to mention hell. This is a Christian. I don't don't want to scare him off, he says. Well, the one guy says, where are you going to scare him off to? Hell number two? (laughs) There's no one. It should scare you. This is scary. Don't take a chance. Don't take a chance. Hell was not originally for people. It was for the devil and his demons, but it makes no discrimination. If you don't want to receive right now God's gracious offer of forgiveness to Jesus Christ, you don't want to go to his wedding banquet, then to hell you will go. You'll get sucked in just like the demons on their day. Seventh objection, they say is this. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this one. They say, oh, okay, all right. Yeah, there's a hell, there's a hell. Oh, there. But they say stuff like this. They say, well, hell, hell's just life on earth. Yeah, no, no. Okay, if there is a hell, I'm going to be down there partying with my buddies. Yeah, drinking, having a good time. Those are the people I want to be around with anyway. Oh, you won't be laughing. You won't be laughing at all. Anybody who obviously makes this statement has never read the Bible. They've never listened to the words of Jesus. Uh, They've never obviously studied uh, what hell is like. In fact, I like uh, this man's description, a theologian, of what hell is like. According to the scripture, he put it all together. And uh, picture a time like this. Picture a time that just continues to tumble on forever and ever, never ending, never slowing down, the same years and decades of torment, regret, sorrow, pain, blanketed darkness, nights never ending, constant consciousness, lostness, aloneness, loneliness, rumblings from the pit, groans, torturing, fire, choking smells, unending and unending, no letting up, no relief, no comfort, never resting, never ceasing, no relenting, no end in sight. One hundred years rolls into another hundred years, slowly turning into a thousand years, evolving into another hundred thousand years into a million years the same grinding pain the continual bone-racking agony screams upon screams weeping upon weeping gnashing upon gnashing of teeth echoing sighs and sighs and you're just getting started forever and ever and ever wow now if that's your idea of a party I ain't going I don't care how many times you invite me you ain't down there partying with your buddies. <laughs> it's your absolute worst nightmare. I just keep focusing in person on that, the weeping and gnashing. Because you could see, oh, no. Even when I was sitting in a church service in Las Vegas, and I was being told to flee from hell and take the one way out that's guaranteed, I still didn't do it. didn't do it here and then I didn't do it there and I, I mocked over here and I, I pushed him away over here and I and you'll never get out please 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 don't go to hell those who end up in hell will wish it was only as bad as life on earth and you will not be partying you'll be tormented forever and ever I like what one person said this think of this life on earth is the only hell the Christian will ever know. But life on earth is the only heaven the non-Christian will ever know. 
This is serious stuff. We got to let people know. Oh, but they keep going. The eighth objection, they come up with, okay, okay, all right, there's a hill, and it's, it's really bad. But it's really only for those really bad people, i.e., rotten people. I mean, really bad people. You know, Hitler, and, uh, yeah, he deserves to go there and be tormented. Yeah, yeah. You know, serial killers, you know, really bad people, yeah. They need, really. Actually, did you know this is one of the biggest lies from the pit of hell? Right? Uh, the Bible says that all people outside of Christ are currently headed for hell. There is no neutral ground. Right? I didn't say that. Again, who's speaking? Rhymes with Jesus. John chapter 8. Here's what he says now. John chapter 8, verse 42 and 44. Jesus told them, listen, if God were your father, you would love me. Why? Because I have come to you from God. Right? To save you. For you, though, here's the reality. You're actually of your children. You're the children of who? Your father, the? The devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. Liars and murderers. Whoa. So from the lips of Jesus, he said, listen, there is no neutral ground, man. Everybody walking on planet Earth, you're in one of two states. You either belong to God or you belong to the devil. There is no middle road, right? It, we're, we're all disqualified. We're all, it, God doesn't say, well, this sin's more rotten than that. We're all considered, if you will, rotten compared to the holiness of God because we've all committed rotten sins. One sin versus a thousand sins still disqualifies you for heaven. Heaven is a place that is holy. God is holy, which means without sin. You cannot put the two together. All sin is rotten. All amount of sin is rotten. There is no neutral ground. And the only way we cease to become a child of the devil and become a child of God is when we get saved through Jesus Christ, not one second sooner or later. And listen to this, how ironic it is. How ironic it is. Talk about a slick trick of the devil who knows he's headed to the lake of fire. He's the big loser. To get people to think that there's this mythical neutral ground that they're standing in. Well, I'm not like Guy, this really on fire Christian. I'm not a wacko like that. Right, I'm not really convinced yet. But I, I'm not over here, you know, uh, Satanists making animal sacrifices or doing all that ritualistic. I'm, not, I'm just in this middle ground, haven't made up my mind yet. Some of the Bible says, some of Jesus said, you either belong to God right now, or even when you're in that so-called mythical neutral position, you belong to the devil. What a trick. That's how stinking evil he is. He knows his gig is up. He's lost, but he's so stinking evil. He's seen how many people he can trick with him into the lake of fire. That's what he's doing with his remaining time. Don't fall for his lies. The ninth objection, the final one we're going to deal with today, is people actually talk about committing sin, sin on top of sin, as if God would do any sin. They actually say hell is unfair. Excuse me? If hell is unfair and God created it, what would you just charge him with? A sin. Excuse me? That's a sin. That's blasphemy. But then they say, no, 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 no. A, a, a good and loving God, he would, he would never allow for such a place to exist. Now, how many of you guys heard that one? That one is rampant all over the place, okay? Now, it might sound wonderful, might tickle your ears, but it's completely unbiblical. It's precisely because God is good, because God is loving, that he has to judge all. 
He has to. Otherwise, he wouldn't be good and loving. God must punish wickedness. Otherwise, he would not be good or loving. Let me give you some examples. Would it be good? Would it be loving if God allowed anyone and everyone to get away with any and all sin, even the sins we know that never even make it to court? But God sees it all. All the people who murdered, all the people who raped, all the people who've destroyed other people's lives. Oh, just, hey, no problem. Would it be good and loving for God to allow Hitler, the 9-11 terrorists, the people, the jihadists today, and Islam, and all kinds of people to enjoy eternal bliss in heaven without ever having to deal with the consequences of their wickedness and behavior? Is that loving? You might want to rethink your statement there. Because the reality is this. It's precisely because God is good and because he is loving and because he is just at the same time. He has to judge all. Otherwise, he wouldn't be loving. You cannot separate love and justice. And they're not mutually exclusive. Leave it alone. It fits together perfect because God is perfect. He is loving and just at the same time. Let me give you an analogy. Here's what the scripture, here's the issue of getting to the wedding banquet. You know what God's doing? It's a courtroom, really, a divine courtroom. And we've all sinned, the Bible says. We're unholy, we're all disqualified. We deserve to go to hell. And, and we stand in the courtroom. Let, let me give you, what, what if somebody actually murdered your whole family? What's, really, murder, you come, ah, what's, what, what's the natural human response? We want justice. Is that wrong? No. Now, let's say they found that guy, that person, whoever, who murdered your family, and you're in that courtroom scene, right? And they found, and, and he doesn't even make excuses. Everybody knows he did it. He admits he did it. And so he's standing there, you're wanting justice, right? And that's with natural response. And he's standing there before the judge, and the judge says, that's it, I've seen all the cases, you admit it, everybody knows, the case, it's all, it's all, we know you did this, but you know what? I'm a good and loving judge. I would never allow anyone to go to jail, let alone the death penalty, and I'm just going to let you go. And if you were there, what would you think of that judge? Oh, he's so wonderful and loving. No. And so it is with this lie that God somehow shouldn't judge. You turn God into that ogre. What? But here's where his love comes in. God has to judge sin because he's just and he's holy. Now here's where his love comes in. Go back to that same analogy. And that was you who committed those crimes. That was you who murdered that family. And everybody knows it was you. Bang! Gavel's passed. You are guilty. You are sentenced to die for your crimes. And then the judge does what he has the authority to do. He stands up from his chair. He takes off his robe. He grabs his only son. And he says, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a choice. Somebody has to pay for this crime. Because I'm just. I'm a just judge. But I'm also an amazing, mind-blowing, loving judge. I'm willing to let my son die for you. I'll let him take the electric chair. All you got to do is just receive it. You cannot separate the love of God from the justice of God. Because you know what it does? 
not only creates a false God, makes an ogre of a God, it cheapens the love of God. When you understand his justice and his holiness, and then you start talking about his love. Wow! Now imagine that person, because you think, well, who wouldn't accept that offer? But you know what people are doing every day? They got breath and they reject Jesus Christ. They're in that situation, and God says, I'll, the judge says, I'll give you my son. I'll let him take, and they sit there and go, no. What are you, a wacko? What are you trying to scare me? Who do you think you want? I ain't got time for this. I got to get to work. Please don't go to hell. Now, in closing, really quick, that's the necessity of hell. It's totally necessary. It makes total sense when you understand the holiness of God, doesn't it? And his justice and his love. All fits perfectly because God is perfect. Now let's take a look at the nature of hell. What makes hell so horrible is, folks, this is not a party town. This is not a good place. It's horrible. Okay, It's the worst place you could ever dream, except it's not a dream. It is literally man's worst nightmare. Forever and ever and ever and ever. In fact, Jesus spoke more about hell than he ever did about heaven. And it makes only sense. Because if hell really did exist, and it does, and if you love people, you'd love them enough to say, No! Don't go there, please! Don't go to hell! Oh, but Jesus... Excuse me? Let's just take a look at a few more verses. All of our verses have been about Jesus. Hello? Okay? But did he believe in a hell? Uh, I think so. Matthew 5, 22, Jesus speaking. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, Jesus said, will be in danger of the fire of what? Hell. Matthew 5, 29, if your right eye caused you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into where? Hell. Uh, Mark 9, 43, if your hand, Jesus said, caused you to sin, cut that thing off too. It's better for you in your life maimed than with two hands and go into hell where the fire never goes out. Mark 9, 45, if your foot caused you to sin. How many guys say Jesus says, get rid of the sin. Take it serious. I chop it off. Do it. It's only done away with through the cross. Take it serious. But cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. Matthew 10, 20. Do not be afraid, Jesus said, those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in where? In hell. Matthew 23, 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as you are. Matthew 23, 33. You snakes, Jesus said, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Okay, Luke 12, 5. But I will show you, Jesus said, whom you should fear. You should be afraid of hell. According to Jesus, fear him, God, who after killing the body has the power to throw you into hell. He says it a second time for emphasis. Yes, I tell you, fear him. You better be afraid of hell. This place is horrible. And the point is this. Hey, let's be honest. If you're going to believe Jesus, when he does talk about heaven, the kingdom of heaven, a wedding party, cows on the grill, fatted cows yeah yeah and everybody wants to hear that yeah heaven throw it on throw it on throw it on somewhere you better believe him about hell because the same lord taught about this place too even more so than heaven you know why because he loves you that's a common sense response isn't it 
If this place really existed, and it does, and you knew somebody was in danger of going there, you'd do whatever it took to tell them about this place. And that's what we see Jesus doing. Out of love for you and I, he warned again and again and again and again and again about this horrible place called hell. Now, what's shocking about that, I can see non-Christians. I used to be one. How many of you guys glad I'm saved now? <laughs> Especially preaching this sermon. No, <laughs> I used to be one. Don't tell me I'm a sinner. I don't believe in no hell. I can, I can get this. Even after all this, the world still rejects the teaching of hell. But what's concerning me is, again, I call hell the silent H word in the American church. And we might say you need to get saved, but we don't fill in the blanks. Saved from what? Saved from where? It's okay to say hell. It's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to sting. It's supposed to get your attention. But Christians are refusing to believe in hell. And this is the ultimate crazy irony. Listen, those who have been saved from hell, Christians, no longer believe in hell. What? And you know one of the ways they show this denial of hell? They refuse to witness. Even an atheist knows, logically, something doesn't compute with that. True story. Listen to what this atheist, he said to a Christian one time, listen. He said, if I believe what you Christians say you believe about a coming judgment and that rejectors of Christ will be lost eternally in a place called hell, then I would crawl on my bare knees on crushed glass all over the city, warning men night and day to flee from the coming of God's wrath. An atheist said that. And yet, I don't want to scare him off. Where are you going to scare them off to? Hell number two? Come on. You need to get saved. Saved from what? Hell. When you refuse to deal with God's holiness, when you refuse to deal with hell, the retribution for sin against His holiness, you cheapen God's love that even made a way out. And it's not just He made a way out and He lets you exist on earth in his current state, he, he gives you the complete polar opposite with heaven. There is no sin, no darkness, no tears, no mourning, no crying. It's awesome. It's perfect forever. Why wouldn't we tell people about that? That's why the word gospel means good news. Why are we as the church acting like it's shameful news? Bad news. It's the greatest news of all. So we're going to close, and in hopes, frankly, again, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, in hopes to, frankly, one more time, scare the hell out of you, literally, or if you're here today as a Christian, and you could, frankly, give a rip about witnessing to the lost around you in danger of hell, I hope to scare the hell into you, so we never forget why Jesus warned about this place more than he ever did about heaven. This is not a game. But let's take a look. One of the best ways I've ever seen it depicted. We'll close in prayer. After Who this. of us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with everlasting burning? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. Far from the illusion that Satan and his followers will one day reign in hell, God created hell as a place of punishment for Satan and his angels. Satan is aware of his ultimate destiny. Jesus Christ declared that hell, the eternal fire, has been prepared for the devil and his angels. 
God's word states that Satan knows that he has only a short time so that he deceives the whole world desiring to bring as many people down with him as possible. The book of Revelation states of Satan's future, quote, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. God's word declares that they will respond to Satan and say, even you have been made weak as we, you have become like us, your pomp and the music of your harps have been brought down to hell, maggots are spread out as your bed beneath you and worms are your covering. How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer! You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to hell, to the recesses of the pit, like a trampled corpse. <laughs> Satanist Anton LaVey also wrote about the lie of being able to hang out with your friends in hell in the Satanic Bible. He wrote, if everyone goes to hell, then you will meet all your friends there. Open wide the gates of hell to greet me as your brother and friend. Contrary to the father of lies, though, God's word describes hell as a place where God pours out his wrath upon the wicked. God's word declares, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who rendered every man according to his deeds. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. God's word speaks of a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and of raging fire which consumes the enemies of God. Severe punishment, for we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Will hell be a good time? Contrary to the father of lies, hell will not be a place of friendship and rock music, but of misery and darkness and isolation. The only thing you will hear from others are their cries of torment. Jesus Christ warned, the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible speaks of the wicked for whom the black darkness has been reserved. Some rock musicians have tried to get their fans to believe that there are no consequences to their sin, encouraging them like John Lennon to imagine there is no hell below us. Volcanoes serve as a foreboding warning that the center of the earth is actually hotter than the sun. God's word states, surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace, all the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Jesus said they, speaking of the holy angels, will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Lord says, my wrath will break out and burn like fire because of the evil you have done. It will burn with no one to quench it. God's word says, for their worm shall not die, and their fire shall not be quenched, and they will be an abhorrence to all mankind. Contrary to Sting's video, God's word declares that there is no rest for the wicked in hell. The book of Revelation states, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Jesus said of the day of judgment, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. God's word says that he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. 
God's word says that the homosexuals destroyed in Sodom and Gomorrah, that they serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Far from being a big party, the Bible describes hell as a place of excruciating pain and torment. Contrary to Satan's ridiculous lie, the kegs will not be flowing and there will not even be one drop of beer to quench one's thirst. Jesus said of a rich man that went to hell, so he called out from hell, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame and he received no relief. Jesus Christ described hell as a place of great weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said of the unrepentant wicked that he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He said, throw out the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The book of Revelation reveals the agony of the wrath of God put out during the tribulation period. It says that the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. How much worse it will actually be in the torments of hell. The Bible says that they will be tormented with burning sulfur and that they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. also describes hell as a lake of fire. God's word says in the book of Revelation, but the beast was captured and with him the false prophet. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur and the devil was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The book of Revelation goes on to declare, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Jesus Christ warned of the stupidity of such a decision. He said, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? If you refuse to turn to Jesus Christ for eternal life, you too will go to the lake of fire forever. No wonder Jesus warned about that place more than heaven. Any sane person would do the same. Any sane person would do the same. And if you're here today as a Christian and you really could give a rip or you don't even witness anymore after being saved from that place, Shame on you. Shame on us. 
who've been entrusted with the greatest rescue mission of all time. Christ has come not to save us from a mediocre life, a poor economic establishment, or a low self-esteem. He came to save us from hell. And they're only going to hear that from us. We need to love people enough like Jesus and tell them, flee from the coming of God's wrath. Please, don't go to hell. And if you're here today, I hope you're not mocking and scoffing still. Because you don't know how long you have left. And if you die and you... <gasps> take your last breath like Bob. But if you don't cry out to God, you're going to hell. And so I beg you, please, please, take God's word seriously. Listen to Jesus. Please don't go to hell. Come to Christ now before it's too late. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? 
The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually 
this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask Him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in His work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.